If you do have your Bible with you, I'd ask you to open it with me to the seventh chapter of the book of Matthew as we're going to be beginning a new sermon series this morning called Untwisting Scripture. This morning we're going to be returning to the teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples and the other hearers of his time and of this moment in history that is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And in 2020, we're going to continue looking at the life of Christ chronologically. The Lord made very clear in the teaching that day when he gave this message that what was done and what was said by the Pharisees and the other religious leaders of the time, the scribes, the Sadducees, the leaders at the temple, that it was contrary to the teachings of God. We see that in our own culture as well. Jesus is on a hill at this moment, and he's speaking to his disciples. There's other hearers that, that, that can hear this message that he's given over Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus is now going to take his lesson into real life. But before we can look at that, before we can understand what he's talking about, first we need to know that Jesus was not taking his lesson into our real life. He was taking the lesson into the real life of his original hearers. So it's important for us to know exactly what they were thinking, what this meant to them. Then we're going to be able to untwist it and see what it means to us. Back in his day, the religious leaders, those who everyone would look up to, those who would go around the town and, 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 and would act holier than thou, those who were the most pious were referred to as the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were men who would commonly put people into different classes. You might be a beggar on the street. You're not as good as they are. You might be a cripple. You might be just a, 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 a blacksmith. You're not as good as they are. They would minimize others so that they could exalt themselves. There was many other qualities that we know of the Pharisees that Jesus wasn't terribly thrilled with. As a matter of fact, there's only one time in the entire Bible that Jesus compliments the Pharisees, and that's on their adherence to the tithe. That's it. The only thing that he tells them that you guys are good at is keeping up with the tithe. This is an area that he's teaching his disciples against things that the Pharisees are doing. In Matthew chapter 5, we see, among other things, that, that Jesus blesses the meek. He gave strength to those who had no voice and who had no value into the culture. And to those who were weak and couldn't be heard by the religious leaders of the day. The Pharisees had taken the words of what we call our Old Testament, which would have been their scriptures at the time, they had taken those words and added so much content and so many rules to those words that God gave his people to live by that now anyone who was less than extravagant in the eyes of the Pharisees would be looked down upon. They would be looked as, as poor and petty and worthless from the eyes of the Pharisees, they would look at these people as worthless in the eyes of God. And see, Jesus recognized that this was, that he recognized throughout his entire ministry 
that the religious leaders of his day were twisting the words of God. They were leading people to believe something that God had not said. Jesus worked very hard throughout his entire ministry to untwist Scripture, to tell people what it really meant. He knew that people once again needed to hear exactly what God was saying. In Jesus, being God in the flesh, has the authority to correctly interpret what God has said. He has all authority, the, the, the power to explain, the power over the wind, the power over, over the body. We see Christ's miracles. If anyone has the authority, it's Christ. We see throughout the New Testament and the Gospel that many people who heard Jesus came to believe in Jesus came to believe in his, in his teaching. And they, for the first time, understood what the gospel was truly about and what scripture truly said because they heard it from Jesus. It was different from hearing it from the scribes. It was different from hearing it from the Pharisees, different from hearing it from the religious leaders. As a matter of fact, when they heard Jesus talk, they said, wow, he talks with one with such authority. They knew he was different. People in Jesus' world, many people were illiterate. Many were uneducated. If they did go to school, they may have gone to religious school. Boys five years old would start going to Torah school, and they would be learning from the religious leaders what the Torah said, and, and that was the, the first five books of Moses, and, and then they would move on to the rest of the Old Testament, and eventually some other writings. They would learn culture from school. But they would be learning the words of Moses and David and the prophets through the lens of what the Jewish leaders wanted to teach them. They were learning through the lens of religion, not the lens of Jesus. Jesus needs to correct this. When it comes into our culture, there's a massive amount of content that our world wants you to see through its lens. It wants to twist things. They did in that day what our culture likes to do. There was a tendency to twist Scripture, to, see, to, to, to look at it the way that the Jewish leaders wanted to look at it, for it to say what they wanted it to say. Our world likes to do the same thing. And, and to be honest with you, our world is like theirs, very biblically illiterate. As a nation... We have very little education in Christian matters. We have tolerance for all things, and we've taken Scripture and twisted it to make it say what, as a culture, we want it to say. Would it be fair to say, if you take Scripture and twist it, it's not Scripture anymore? It's not the Word of God anymore. It's words, but it's words that are meant to say now what you want them to say. It would also be fair that you or I or nobody that we walk on this earth with has the authority to tell Scripture what to say. There are many people who will read Scripture and will claim to have a, a deep understanding of the words of Jesus, but will, will go through their Bible and they'll pick and choose. You know anyone who does that? Picks and chooses? 
what they want to, what, what they want to believe. We call it uh, uh, the bumper sticker Bible, right? If you, if you can get a verse on a, bi- on a bumper sticker. But there are many in our culture who will walk into church on Sunday morning praising God and worshiping God and listening to somebody talk for 40 minutes. But then on Sunday afternoon, we'll walk right back into a purposeful and a willing and a sinful lifestyle on Sunday afternoon because we've twisted something to say it's okay. One of the most detrimental things that we could do with Scripture is to read it wrong, and more than that, is to teach it wrong. Amen? This morning we're going to untwist a very important piece of Scripture that some people, and I think you probably know somebody in your life who has done this. They don't even know this chapter and this verse, but they will quote these words to you, and they'll bring up this Scripture almost any time that you want to talk to them about Jesus. Our world has twisted Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, to mean something that it was never meant to say. The people of those days would understand what Jesus was saying. People live by it now, shaming you for three words that they don't understand, that they don't know the context And you know somebody in your life who has said to you at some point, whenever you bring up Jesus, whenever you talk to them about something going on in their life, they're going to use these three words. They're going to say, the Bible says, but the Bible says, do not judge. Your Bible says, do not judge. You can't judge me. That's what your Bible says. There's more meaning to those words in Matthew chapter 7 than what our society and our culture has twisted it to mean. See, what happens is when somebody uses that phrase to you that says, oh, well, your Bible says do not judge, what they're doing is they're making an excuse that will minimize your words. It's going to minimize your message that you're trying to talk to them about. They use these words, do not judge, as an excuse to justify actions. We do it sometimes too. We say, I'm going to live by this way and nobody has the right to judge me. The Bible says do not judge. What we're doing is we're using these words as an excuse. We're using them to justify our actions and continue living in sin because we're saying nobody has the right to judge me. Bible says do not judge. We're taking it out of context. This is what somebody is really saying. When they say, hey, do not judge, this is what they're really saying to you. They're saying, if I eliminate everyone in my life who is judging me, then I don't have to be accountable to anyone. I don't. I don't have to be accountable. And all of my sins are now appropriate because there's nobody to judge. Nobody's judging me. We're, we're in a world that, that everything, we tolerate everything. Tolerance for everything. Don't judge. You can't judge. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 1 through 6 this morning in a message that I have titled, God's Job versus My Job. Now, I want you to remember that Matthew is writing his gospel to a Jewish audience, and the original hearers of this message of the Sermon on the Mount 
would have known the background of the religious leaders. They would have known the Pharisees. They would have known what their culture was like. And Jesus is calling out the Pharisees, and he's comparing the life of a Christian to the carelessness of the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1 through 2 reads like this. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured against you. Wow. Fits on a bumper sticker. At least parts of it does. Fits on a bumper sticker. As an excuse that, don't judge me. There's so much in this verse that our culture likes to quote... And they will quote, but the biggest problem is that they take this verse out of context and they let it stand on its own. It was never meant to be a standalone verse. But in order to hear what Jesus is saying, we have to put this verse back into context to see the principle of Jesus' words, and then we can dive into the meaning of what Jesus is trying to tell us. Our first principle is point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you just joining us, you'll see on the left-hand side of your bulletin, there's some fill-in-the-blanks, and I'm going to give you those answers, and they're going to be up here on the screen as well. Uh, There's pins in the back if you need one. Point number one in your notes this morning, Christians are not to do God's job of condemning, but rather are to show God's example by forgiving. Christians are not to do God's job of condemning, but rather are to show God's example by forgiving. The Greek word here used is the the Greek verb krino. It, It denotes the idea of expressing a negative opinion about somebody. The word judge, in the English language, it has numerous different meanings and different nuances. Depending on the context, the word could mean discernment. Uh, As it's referred to in Luke chapter 7, it could mean a judicial uh, litigation is referred to in Matthew chapter uh, 5. It can mean to bestow upon somebody. In Matthew chapter 19, we see that. It could also mean a pronouncement of guilt, as we see in John chapter 7. Or it can mean the absolute determination of somebody's fate. Matthew 5, Matthew 8 talks about that. It's similar to the English word. We studied this in Wednesday's small group this week. It can be similar to the English word ship. When I say the English word ship, many of you have different things going through your mind right now. Some of you, if you have connections, maybe you were in the Navy, and to you, a ship is this vessel that goes from coast to coast, and and you're out on this amazing uh, vessel just all over the ocean. Some of you, when I say the word ship, if you're an Amazon Prime member, you're thinking free shipping. That's what's going through your mind. I save a lot of money every time something is shipped. There's different nuances to the word judge. This this verse brings, brings in words that people claim that there's only one meaning to, and they're only using one meaning. And they're saying, this word, this verse can sum up the entire Bible. As Christians, we need to understand that that's just simply not true. But how is it that we're able to take this scripture into the world and live by it properly if we don't fully understand the meaning ourselves? Probably a pretty good idea to go back and see what Jesus is talking about, right? I want to be perfectly clear. Jesus is not saying, do not judge in the same way that our world says 
that Jesus is saying, do not judge. Two different occurrences, two different looks at this verse. Matter of fact, in the book of 1 John, chapter 4, verse number 1 through 3, John writes this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not, is not from God. If somebody is saying that this verse means this, we need to test that spirit. You can't really say, well, that I'm going to twist this scripture to mean something from a worldly standpoint and then turn in, I don't confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I don't confess Jesus. So we have to test this. We're going to look at that this morning. What exactly is Jesus talking about when he tells you and I, do not judge or you will be judged? What Jesus is doing is he's making a proclamation to his disciples and setting them in a different position than the Pharisees. He's making a pronouncement that they are not to judge people's guilt before God. This is something the Pharisees would do on a regular basis. It was, in, it was well within their culture to condemn somebody to hell. That's what the, this person is not worth it in their eyes. They would put them in classes. Jesus is saying, be careful of making these kinds of judgments against somebody and damning them to hell because some actions of th that they committed here on earth might be the same actions that you and I commit here on earth. He's saying, who are you to condemn somebody for eternity? What he's not saying is, judge the situation, that do not judge a situation and, 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 and make sure this is a safe situation to go into. In the original Greek, the phrase is more empathetic. It, it says, with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. We can see the rationale behind the warning if we recognize that, that this warning reiterates earlier principles that Jesus had brought to his disciples that we see earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. The warning is judging, the, the warning about judging is the absolute reverse of the blessings that Jesus has advocated for in the fifth beatitude. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5 verse number 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. This is the opposite of that. Jesus is telling in chapter 5 what he wants his disciples to do. Here he's saying the Pharisees are not blessing people by being merciful and, and giving mercy. I want you to do that. But they are judging people and they are condemning them. I don't want you doing that. See, for somebody to show mercy means that somebody has been wronged. You really don't show mercy to somebody who hasn't done anything, who hasn't wronged you. Maybe they were wronged personally. Maybe they were wronged in society. But it's not the believer's position to make a determination on somebody's eternal destination based on somebody's earthly actions. That's not up to us. All of us have earthly actions that are contrary to the law of God and his expectations of us. 
I want you to see what Jesus' half-brother James writes in James chapter 4, verse number 12. James writes this, There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Lawgiver. Now when we look at lawgiver, we look at it in this context. He's talking about the law that Moses would have handed down. He's talking about the the Mosaic law. He's talking about the law that Jews would have lived by and thought to live by that's going to give them eternal life. We don't make the rules. We don't lay down the law. That's God's job to lay down the law. What Jesus is saying is let God do His job. It's not your job to do God's job. Let God do His job. It's not our job to, to, to tell. We can't go up to anyone in our culture and say, you know what? Eternity in heaven for you. <laughs> yes, you're in. We, we seem to do that, though. Have you ever heard somebody said, oh, there's a special place in hell for people like that? You ever heard somebody say that? I have never heard somebody say, you know what? There's a special place in heaven for somebody like you. There's a special place. We studied hell a few weeks ago. I'll be honest with you. I don't know that there is a special place for anyone. I don't know that anyone there is suffering any worse than anyone else. A special place is an elevated place. But we don't. We don't go around claiming that somebody is going to spend eternity in heaven. That's not our job. Unfortunately, there's numerous times when we might lose a loved one in our life and And we don't know exactly if they had ever come to Christ or accepted His atoning sacrifice for their sins, allowing them to spend eternity with God the Father. And what do we say? We say things like, you know what? um, God only knows. Right? Don't we say that at times? God only knows. What do we prefer to say? Everyone in this room, God only knows. Right? God only knows our hearts. And it's absolutely true. None of us, none of us know. None of us have the authority to make that kind of judgment on somebody. But rather, we are told to show mercy. We are told to forgive. We are told to give mercy. So if Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1, is saying, if it says, do not judge or you will be judged. And by the same measure that you judge, you will be judged. What is it really saying to us? Is it saying that We are not to judge others. We're not to judge our brothers for their actions. That's what the world would lead you to believe. That's what our culture would say. That's where our world has twisted the Scripture. And now we're untwisting it this morning, realizing that Jesus is not talking about judging your brother or sister for their actions or lifestyle that is outside of biblical constructs. We are simply told not to judge others and make a determination on their eternal destination because that is putting ourselves in the position of God and that is very, very dangerous. For the Christian to tell our brothers and sisters, even for those who are not followers of Jesus, that we love them and that we forgive them if they have wronged us and that we are here to support them and that we are here to help them through this sinful situation, that is showing God's example. That is what we're to do. 
Does that not require some level of judging? See, there's different levels of judging that we are supposed to do. This, judging somebody's eternal destination, not our job. But would it be fair to say that we need to be able to judge that a burning building is not a good place for us to be walking into? Need to be able to make that judgment. But because the scripture has been twisted and been represented incorrectly for so long by so many people in our culture, we live in a world with people who simply won't say anything. Christians still even won't say anything to their brother and sister in Christ because they have the wrong understanding of this verse. And some people are afraid to even speak up because there's this hesitation that if you call somebody out for their sin, that they're going to call you out for yours. Right? But honestly, that's okay. I want you to see what the Bible has to say about that. Come back with me into Matthew chapter 7. We're in verse number 3. Jesus says this, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take that speck out of your eye, and behold, a log is in your own eye? That's what we're going to hear. Point number two in your notes. Watch this. This is so important. Christians should always examine their own hearts before examining the hearts of others. Christians should always examine the hearts, their own hearts before examining the hearts of others. I want to show you two important points in this. One, Christians. And two, before. Okay? To tell you the truth, I don't know where you're filling the blanks are. I know they're up there. But those are important things that we're going to look at. This verse refers to our, our brother. It says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? Let's look at that for a moment. Your brother or your sister in Christ is somebody else who is a follower of Christ. When we take the Lord's Supper, we come... And we take a moment to examine our own hearts. And I hope that you do that throughout your week. That, Lord, I want you to look into my heart. But here we're told in this verse, Jesus is speaking specifically about your brother. Talking about somebody in Christ. I want you to see also something that's very similar in this verse in other translations, Jesus says this, he, he, he will say, it'll be translated, that piece of sawdust in your eye, and it also talks about the log or the plank in your brother's eye. And I want you to recognize something about the words of Jesus here. That a piece of sawdust and a log are the same thing, except one is smaller than the other. They're both wood. So let's look at it with both being the same thing. Why do you look at that piece of wood in your brother's eye? You don't notice the log that is in your eye. It's the same thing, okay, is what he's talking about. What he's not saying is this. He's not saying, why do you look at that orange peel in your eye while your brother has a transmission in his eye? Two different things. So how does that relate? It relates that we're talking about in this situation, because he's, he's using hyperbole here, he's, he's making a comparison, he's talking about the same sin. A lot of people in our culture 
like to say, oh, well, you're going to come and you're going to talk to me about my alcoholism, but look at, 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 at you. you. You struggle here um, like you yell at your kids sometimes. Two totally different things. Two totally different things. Here, Jesus is talking about a piece of sawdust. He's talking about wood. He's talking about a larger piece of wood in your eye. He's saying, how can you, how can you see clearly? How can you say to your brother, let me take the same sin out of your eye that I have in my eye? He's not saying, how can you take all sin out of your brother's eye? He's saying, how can I take the same sin that I have in my eye out of yours? My, if mine's bigger, I can't see yours clearly. Our culture likes to say, you can't judge me because you do this. We all do this. We all do something. We all have something in our life. Christ is specifically saying, before you talk to your brother about a specific sin in his life, if you're struggling with the same sin, let's focus on that first. Because there's always going to be something in our life. And our, our culture says, yeah, don't bring it up, don't talk to me about that. It's not what the Bible says. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 18. This is an important verse as well. Matthew chapter 18, verse number 15, he says this, If your brother sins, go and show him his faults in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. We have a biblically written direction for us to address issues amongst each other. But see, we can't counsel sin if we're struggling with the same sin. We can't counsel somebody out of it or through it if we're deep in it ourselves. It makes it a little bit difficult to do because they're going to use that dreaded word that stops you in your tracks when you try and have this conversation. It's a hard word that there's no backing out of. Really, it's like, how do, how do I argue this one? Matthew chapter 7, we're back in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 5. Jesus says this in verse 5, he says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck or the piece of sawdust out of your brother's eye. Wow. When people call you a hypocrite, there's not much you can do, right? It's like that stops the conversation in its tracks. Sometimes it's okay. But here, Jesus is talking about the same sin. Point number three in your notes is this. As Christians, we have an obligation to help our brothers and sisters out of sin. Now, if you saw my notes, you would see that I scratched out this T and I put an R right there, which it should have been. So, to help our brothers and sisters out of sin. Helping our brothers and sisters out of sin isn't judging. It's being a disciple. I want to say that one more time. 
helping our brothers and sisters out of sin is not judging, it's being a disciple. That's our job. As Christians, we have an obligation to help others, to help our brothers and sisters out of sin. We know, however, though, that we need to make sure that we are in a position to where we can help them. If we are struggling in our world with pornography, it's probably safe to say that we're not the one to help somebody out of their struggle with pornography. 85% of men in our culture struggle with it. That means there's 15%, not all of them Christians, who can help out the other 85%. But when, when you're struggling with the same sin... We're not the perfect person to help get somebody else out. Now, we can work with, we can be accountable. Maybe the two of us can go and find a mentor to help us through. But we're certainly in no position to say, you know what? Um, yeah, it's whoo, way, yeah, you shouldn't do that. And then when we get our private time, we're doing the same thing, right? See, there's a difference between what the world calls you a hypocrite for and what Jesus is calling you a hypocrite for. It's if you're telling somebody else you shouldn't do it and you're doing the same thing. He's not saying not to bring up their sin and then sit back in fear that they're going to bring up yours. We have sin. We have things that we struggle with. We do. And... Could it come up? Absolutely it could come up. But because the Word of God is that important and holy, we must share it with everyone. Because the salvation and the grace of Jesus is that important to our life now and to our life after death, we must share it with everyone. But should we expect everyone in our world to receive it? No. The Bible tells us that that's not going to happen. We know that going in. We know it. In Matthew chapter 7, we're going to finish off our scripture this morning. Verse number 6. Jesus says this, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample, under, trample them under their feet, and they will turn and tear you to pieces. In those days, back in their culture, dogs were not fluffy animals that lived in your house, that you fed wonderful food, that, uh, you know, and you took them to the groomer. They weren't. Dogs were animals that would roam the town. They would eat out of the, I don't know if they had trash cans, but, what, you know, they, they, they were just, they were wild animals for the most part. Not so much pets that you could tame in your backyard. So for Jesus to say, don't give what is holy to dogs, swine, pigs the same way. Wild pigs would kill people easily. Don't throw the things that are holy, that are meaningful to you, under the feet of pigs and the dogs, or they will trample on, on them and tear you to pieces. Point number four in your notes this morning. This is your final point. Not everyone is going to be open to your witness about Jesus. Now, why do we write that down as a point? Why do we write that down as a, as a principle in our lesson in Untwisting Scripture? 
Because it goes to the reminder that not everything we say is going to reach everyone we talk to. There's some who are going to be resistant to our message. Does that mean we don't talk to them? No. We have to. See, here's the thing. Here's what this scripture means, this entire scripture means. If we make a determination that that person that we don't know is going to reject our message of Jesus, then we have already judged them and said to ourselves, they're not worth the message that we have. It's not our job to judge somebody whether they're going to receive it or not. It's our job to tell them about Jesus. Amen? Peter says this in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 2, verse number 22. He says, They prove the truth of this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit, and another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. God knows some people are going to hear and accept his message. Not everyone is. At no point are you and I to make a determination on who is. Finally, I want to read this scripture to you. I don't think you have this slide, Isaiah. Mainly because I added it to the sermon last night. I'll be honest with you. It's from Matthew chapter 10, verse number 14. Jesus has sent his disciples. He's told them, I want you to go out into the country and I want you to preach my word. I want you to tell others about me. And he says, I want you to go into different homes, and they, if they accept you, I want you to stay there. And then he tells them in verse number 14 of Matthew chapter 10, he says, whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city. He said, if they don't accept your words, just shake the dust off of your tunic. Just clean up and go. Go find somebody else to talk to. Understand not everyone is going to want to hear what you have to say, but everyone is somebody we need to say it to. It is so important that we're not making those determinations. We must not judge people's souls and their eternity. That's God's job. We must examine our own hearts and, and, and fix our hearts before we approach somebody to fix the same sin. Let me tell you something. Your heart that is fixed dealing with this sin is a great help to somebody else that's going through it right now. It's a great help. But you know what that requires? It requires a form of judging. It requires discerning that somebody else is struggling with this. You've been through it. You came out of it. You can help. But if you say the Bible says do not judge and we read it wrong, then we're never going to talk to our brother and sister. We must speak to others to help them out of their sin. We must know that this world is not going to like our words. But we must not stop. And we must not quit. But most of all, we must be merciful. We must be forgiving. We must be loving. We must discern and we must keep ourselves safe and out of the areas of temptation. 
you're in a time in your life where you've judged others so much that you can't have a healthy Christian relationship with them, I want to pray with you this morning. And I want you to know how to tell if you're in the wrong place in a relationship in your life right now. If you are so sour with somebody in your life that you're not talking to them, you haven't called them in years, you've got this distaste for them, you want to know how to tell if you're in the wrong place? It's that you won't even call them and talk to them about Jesus. That determines, that tells you you're in the wrong place in that relationship because we've made a judgment. It means that we've told ourselves that they're not worth our breath. That they're not worth our voice. That we're doing the same things that the Pharisees did because we're putting them in a category. It means we've already judged their soul and we've told them that they're not worth our time. And if we're telling somebody by our inaction that they're not worth our time, in reality, we're telling them that they're not worth Jesus and that's not for us to judge. Do not judge is not about judging lifestyle. It's about judging somebody's worth. Every single person you know and every single person you don't is worth the love of Jesus. And it's our job as Christians to show them God's love.